Tales from the Plantation Nation. Fresh. I look around for my mother and my little sister. What happened to my brother? Some motherfuckers killed him. Damn, my head spinning and I'm sick to my stomach. Everything is pitch black and I can't see nothing. Everything was pitch black except the motherfuckers coming. I didn't mean to let them catch me. I was looking for my brother. All I know is that I feel a arm. Could be a foot, but a brother couldn't speak because his tongue they took. I was shook when I saw that fetus fall from the womb. But they came in the name of Jesus. Man, I'm confused. We was fooled. Our village was burnt in all our tools and now I'm probably on this cruise and a nigga shark food if I can't make it where the fuck's my destination to the land of milk and honey but I'm naked and I'm hated and Satan told me speak another language damn it's fucked up on this slave shit it's a dead body next to me it's a dead body next to me it's fucked up on this slave shit it's a dead body next to me it's a dead body next to me it's fucked up on this slave shit it's a dead body next to me it's a dead body next to me. It's fucked up on this place. It's a dead body next to me. It's a dead body next to me. It's fucked up on this place. I look around for my mother and my little sister. What happened to my brother? Some motherfuckers killed him. Damn, my head's spinning and I'm sick to my stomach. Everything pitch black and I can't see nothing. Coming down off this black robber, think about jumping. The big homie threw a meeting, but he ain't talking about nothing. All I know is that he got an L. Could be a rock, so he don't see it like they see it when it comes to them cops. But some shit that I ain't about to stop. So they MIA, where they at? Working hard down in PIA. Private prisons make millions worth of CCA. Brunt making like a dollar a day. Man, when count time, time in your ass move, then you ain't dead. It's a toilet by my bed. I said, if count time come, if your ass move, then you ain't dead. Or it's a toilet by my bed. It's a dead body next to me. It's a dead body next to me. It's fucked up on this slave ship. It's a dead body next to me. It's a dead body next to me. It's fucked up on this slave ship. It's a dead body next to me. It's a dead body next to me. It's fucked up on this slave ship. It's a dead body next to me. It's a dead body next to me. It's fucked up on this slave ship. everybody if this is your first time thank you for joining us if this is not your first time thank you for coming back this is a very special show for me that was my man Sarah Fresh on the intro with his uh with Slave Ship I almost said it's fucked up on this Slave Ship because it is but it's called Slave Ship and it's on New Nubian Music and um I'm really excited today because we have a special guest very special to me uh Miss Portia Taylor um and I got so much to say and I want to tell y'all first and foremost why I'm so excited because I, I pride myself on knowing a lot of real people. You know what I mean? I appreciate the fact that I'm surrounded by real folks because you, you are you what you, you surround yourself with. 
this real individual right here, though, who's demonstrated authenticity since before I got out of prison. Like, anytime my wife Jamelia showed up to, like, protest on my behalf or on a cause to change the laws, to make a legislative visit, you know, all the photographs that I used to get when I was in prison, they kept me going because people was out there fighting and pushing. Portia was in a great deal of them. My guest today was in a great deal of them. So to now have an opportunity for it to come full circle and me to be out here and be doing sales from the Plantation Nation and have an opportunity to interview our guest today is, is really special to me. So let me introduce my, my, my guest today, Portia Taylor. She's the founder and visionary of Prison from the Inside Out, a 501c3 nonprofit serving men, women, and children impacted by incarceration. She is the first black woman to host rehabilitative programming funded by the state of California. Let's back up for a second. So she is the first black woman to host rehabilitative programming funded by the state of California, highlighting incarcerated authors. As a community leader and advocate and social justice and reform consultant, Portia has partnered with various organizations and is a founding member of the California Impacted Families Project a coalition of organizations and families directly impacted by the criminal justice system. Portia highlights God overall in her entrepreneurial goals. So with that said, um, I'm so honored to have my guest here, Portia Taylor. Thank you for joining us today. Round of applause for our guest. Oh, thank you. So much. <laughs> I definitely do well, not need a round of applause. As you said first, I am as real as I can. I am I consider myself to be very normal. And so I thank you for allowing me to grace your platform. Right on. Thank you. The honor is truly all mine and all ours. And somebody once told me when somebody's giving you a compliment, shut up and take it. So I'm gonna pass that on to you. You deserve your flowers right now. We want to give them to you. You are a true warrior. I respect your humility, but, man, we're going to clap for you. We're going to yell. We're going to scream. We're going to all the stuff. Thank you. Not all I the appreciate time. my flowers. <laughs> Look, I appreciate the flowers. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. So, yeah, as I said during the intro, it just means a lot to me for you to be here because, I mean, honestly, just think about all the times when you were posing for a picture and Jamelia was holding a picture of me and Eli in it. You know, talking about change, yeah. fighting against Elwap or, or fighting yeah. against something that was taking place inside the prison where nobody else would come to her side or come to our aid or, or stand by you. We got pictures of you all in the office with legislators doing the work and getting it done, you know. So it mm-hmm. means a lot for you to be here. And you've been doing this work for a long time. I just, it's, it's, it's awesome. Thank you. I haven't been doing this work for a long time. I... Um, was what they would call like a, a prison wife. Now they they don't like us to say that anymore because we're using human centered language, right? A wife of an incarcerated yes. person. But no, I haven't been doing this work for a long time. I was a I'm I am not I was I am a normal black woman that had a husband in prison, and I have friends that have husbands in prison. <laughs> Very simply. And so I think our fight comes from within, and God aligned me with some strong-ass women, and your wife <laughs> happens to be one of them, <laughs> you know. 
And so Thank you for that. that strong ass woman that. happened to lead to, you know, no one can take the credit for what she did for you. You know, we just oh, we were in rooms working. But your wife, you know, she's a beast. So oh, we only got to everybody know that. <laughs> I'm gonna always look up on every platform that we own. Every chance Amen. I get. And mm-hmm. and thank you for correcting me and saying that you haven't been in this work for a long time. For me, I said that because you were there while I was in prison and now you're here while I'm out of prison. And for me that's a lifetime of just change. Aww. So that was that was just my, my personal feeling like you've been here for a long time because you were yeah. there when I had life and I didn't know when I was coming home and now you're here and we're having an interview. So that's thank you for the correction. That's that was just my perception. Yeah. But you touched on some really good points of, of how you even got into this work to begin with. It's almost like it was born out of necessity of the struggle. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I definitely feel like I'm a product of um, what the system is. My mama had her first baby at 14 years old, and my grandma had her first baby at 12. You know, they're cha- they're chain breakers. My daddy is a was a pimp. And so, like, they raised us, they raised us well. They they raised us well enough to leave them projects and put us in a house. And um, not to say that the household was great because we still had to fight through the demons that they came from in the household, whether it was in the suburbs or the projects. However, they did what they had to do. And um, there was a lot of prison so, around me. Mm. And so I'm listening to what you're saying because this show, we have a, a really vast audience of people from variegated backgrounds, people who have been in the crossroads setting before, people who are in prison right now, people who've never been in prison, folks who are system impacted only through their loved ones, those who've only seen what prison is like from TV, so forth and so on. And so as you talk, I always ask my guests to keep that in mind that sometimes I need you to break stuff down to the lowest compound for people who don't automatically get what we're talking about, right? And, excuse me, like, when you say I came up, there was a lot of prison around me, you know, and trauma around me. I'm I'm just thinking of, you said I was raised well. For people who didn't grow up like us or not from our immediate speech communities and backgrounds, they'll say, well, how were you raised well if you went to prison? And so how would you answer that? I would say that that my parents, although they came from low-income communities, they um, put us in a household that had food in it, that Mm -hmm. when we had questions for them, they knew how to answer us, that my daddy sat down and read books to me. I had a father, Mm -hmm. a black, strong father in the house with me. And he wasn't Perfect, you know what I'm saying? But he is a damn good father, and he's alive now, 70-some years old, still fathering my kids. My kids are with him right now. Peace had, to you, father. Um, Peace to you, pops. I had, I traveled, okay? I, I went to Disneyland. I went to places of of amusement, and mm-hmm. these are some, like I said, I, t- I already broke down where my parents came from. So, yeah, right. I had, I don't know, I think in general, I had a good household. And so that's that's great. 
But you see the point that I'm making because you have people who will really ask that question. Like, how could she say she was raised well if she went to prison? But I'm the same way. My mom. I didn't go to prison. I went to jail. I went to jail oh, several to jail. times. <laughs> to jail oh. several times. Yeah, I was I, great. I find... Okay, so now even with that, so let me tell you, that's a subculture amongst us that would even discriminate between jail and prison. And see, and that's what I'm saying, it's stuff like that that speaks about your level of, of like, your deepness and understanding and where you are because to the average person, like, I'll be talking to guys in a 10P program, and a person will tell a story mm-hmm. like, yeah, man, I just came down the street and I let off, you know, I let off 100 rounds, and oh, I, was, I was willing to let off 100 rounds and just, you know, keep on riding and go get me a sandwich. And I'd be like, hold on, bro. We just said we were ready to let off 100 rounds and just keep going down the street like it wasn't nothing. I said, that's not normal. And we've been so desensitized. Yeah, we grew up this way that we've we been so desensitized that we don't trip. But if you talk to someone who didn't grow up like that, that's like, a, like, are you kidding me? So when you say, well, I didn't go to prison, I went to jail, for us, it's like, okay, I get you. I didn't go to the pen. You went to the county. I received that. But for somebody who hasn't done any of that, it's like jail is, is the gulag. It's, it don't miss Pelican Bay. It's, it's all bad, period. <laughs> so it's funny hearing you say that, you know what I mean? Yeah, I just like to really pay homage to the fact that, like, God graced me from making it to the more severe time. Cage is a cage, in my opinion. Um, Thank God for that. And my daughters and God, like, gracing me with my daughters, saved me from, I don't say I stopped being bad after I had them, but um, they definitely slowed me down tremendously to the point to where... Uh, I think I only went to jail once after I had my kids. Oh, that. Or Jesus. Thank God for that. I'm glad you never saw prison. And I celebrate you, and I tip my hat to you. And that's just, that adds to your narrative even more of why you're so special and why you're here. You know what I'm saying? Because you can speak on it. You can talk about it. And so um, with that, you're welcome. With that said, I want us to jump into our first segment, which is called These Are the Facts. And so when these are the facts comes on, I want you to listen to them, right? And if anything mm-hmm. sticks out to you, if anything sticks out to you, I just want you to hold on to it, and we're going to come back and dialogue about it a little bit, all right? Okay. That's it. All right, y'all. This is Tales from the Plantation Nation. I'm here with my special guest, Portia Taylor, and these are the Hello. My name is Tanya Mack. I am your sister. I'm your homegirl, and I'm your friend. And these are the facts. According to a 2016 report by the Ewing Marion Kaufman Foundation, formerly incarcerated individuals are almost 50% more likely to become entrepreneurs than the general population. According to a 2020 report by the National Bureau of Economic Research, 9.2% of black business owners in the United States have a history of incarceration, and that's compared to 3.3% of white business owners. According to a 2020 report by the Brookings Institution, having a criminal record reduces the likelihood of becoming an entrepreneur by 50%. A 2019 report by the Prison Policy Initiative found that formerly incarcerated individuals face significant barriers to accessing um, 
financial services, including investing and investors. Data on this topic is not readily available. And when I say data, I mean um, the percentage of formerly incarcerated individuals who receive venture capital funding. But according to a 2018 report by the Center of American Progress, they found, and this is not surprising, that formerly incarcerated individuals face significant barriers to accessing any type of funding for small businesses and small business creation. According to a 2019 report by the FDIC, 25.4% of formerly incarcerated individuals are unbanked and an additional 28.4% are underbanked. And we're going to get into that, the definitions, what's the difference between unbanked and underbanked. According to a 2019 report by the Ewing Marion Kaufman Foundation, formerly incarcerated individuals who start their own businesses are less likely to return to prison than those who do not. The impact of access to capital on entrepreneurship among formerly incarcerated individuals is surprising. According to a 2018 report by the Center for American Progress, increasing access to capital for formerly incarcerated individuals significantly increases their rates of entrepreneurship and contributes to economic growth. According to a report by the California Association of Realtors, as of 2020, the home ownership rate for black households in California was 35%, compared to 60% for white households. According to data from the Census Bureau, as of 2020, the home ownership rate for black households in the United States was 44%, compared to 74% for white households. This disparity in home ownership rates contributes to wealth inequality and also limits opportunities for black families to build generational wealth through home ownership. According to a report by the National Association of Realtors, as of 2020, the home ownership rate for black households in Georgia was 42% compared to 73% for white households. In Texas, the data is staggering. In Texas, for black households, home ownership rate was 41% compared to 66% for white households. According to a report by the National Association of Realtors as of 2020, the home ownership rate for black households in Louisiana was 38% compared to 72% for white households. The report further notes that systemic barriers to home ownership, such as discrimination in lending and housing policies, have directly contributed to the gap in the home ownership rate. These have been the facts. No spin, no blend, put nothing in. Strictly the facts. Shout out to my girl, Tanya Mack, Universal Cafe. Welcome back to um, Tales from the Plantation Nation. Those of these are the facts. Brought to you by NewNubianFactions.com. 
No more baby mamas, no more baby daddies, more than just clothing. It's a movement. So welcome back. And we're talking to our guest, Portia Taylor, today. And Portia, those were the facts. Did you hear anything that stood out to you? Um, you know, as I listened, there were several things that stood out to me, but I think the most important thing, like overall, that I thought about was that we already know this, right? Like we don't have to look at data to know that in a neighborhood that there are more white people than there are black people owning houses. That they're mm-hmm. like I think that some people are scared to say that. Like you're white, I'm black. And and mm-hmm. that is what it is. There are more white people than black people that own properties. We know what redlining is, we know what gerrymandering is. And for those that don't, then we are in community teaching you. My org is we going in prison mm-hmm. talking to them about that right now. Good. Um, but factually, like, what stood out to me is that, like, I, first of all, let me just, again, flowers. I loved that whole portion of this show. Oh, thank you. That thank you. Shout out to my girl, Tiny Mac. Okay. Thank you, Portia. That was so. And, and it's because of what so. you said. Like, you said. One person might say this, one person might say that, or somebody might not want to say that, but let the numbers say it then. Like, in the end, you know, these are the facts. No spin, no blend, no put nothing in. This is not my opinion. This is not Portia's opinion. These are the numbers. These are the facts. So now that we have that understood, let's go from there. Okay. So moving back into what I was saying, no, that was super dope, though. I like that that you're educating our community um, based on numbers. And and you said earlier that there are people on here that are not impacted, right? They they don't have what we have. So learning that way is um, going to. So they don't see themselves. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. 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 So that's very impactful, and it also plays into (laughs) issue. That's right, because we all know that um, inter, what is it, inter, inter, what's the words I'm looking for? Intersection, is that where you're going, intersectionality, the the term that they're using right now to, what? No, it's when everybody's independent interdependence. That's what I'm thinking of. Independent interdependence where everyone seems like they're their own individual, but we all are connected, and each one of our decisions does affect the other. No. Well, think about it. How many Malcolm X's and Martin Luther King's were there? It only takes one leader, and then the world follows him. 100%. That's how it is. It takes one to effectuate change, and so... Yeah. You're the one that's on the show right now. Who knows how many people who minds and hearts you didn't change already just in this conversation already. So there's so many things I want to talk to you about, man. This is getting better and better. You went to jail, came out of jail, mm-hmm. and created a program mm-hmm. to help people who are incarcerated, but not just incarcerated, right, that, that serves, like you said, system impacted, but also people who are incarcerated. And in doing so, mm-hmm. especially for authors, so you're improving the literacy rate, you're also increasing, uh, you're lending to self-entrepreneurship, um, education. I mean, it's, it's so intersectional, the work that you're doing, if it hasn't been said to you, of course you already know, you know, you are. That is just amazing. And I would love to touch on that a little bit more and inspire and encourage so many others to know that they can do the same as you. And not mm-hmm. only do it, 
but but strive to do it better because that's what all of us want. We mm-hmm. want the next generation right. to always do it better. Yeah. Yeah. So I just want you to speak to some of those young ladies out there who may who see themselves in the struggle right now and don't think that there's a different way or or that they can turn the corner and and turn that same thing that was once a problem into something that is a solution in their life. I mean, because you went from going to jail as a problem to now going to jail as a solution. Your fo- your program is now funded. You're now funded to go help other people who are in a situation who are similarly situated to you. So could you speak Thank to some of that for me, please? Absolutely. I first want to yeah, um, just to God. My my program is faith based, and it's not my program. My programs, all my programs. You brought up the authors. Um, my programs are all written by people who are currently incarcerated, and the programs that are highlighted That's and dope. funded right now are funded by Edric Brown. V seven O one. Shout out to Edric. Come on, he has parole board. He's seven oh one eight six. He is in Sentinel State Prison. Show up for him. Write a support letter. Send it to them parole board people and let them know he is rehabilitating. So, no one in this life is perfect, but they over sentence us and they over struggle us. And he is one of those people. And I'm a proud servant to be the carrier um, of rehabilitation through him, through his program. And there are so many other young men, Jabre, Dixon. That's right, Mr. Dixon. I mean, who's in Lancaster. Yes, okay. He's doing Mm -hmm. amazing things. And so, you know, what comes out of what is in prison is so, it's just powerful. So saying that, that's that's one thing. Going back to what you asked me, Um, If there's anything that I could say to young women, young people in general, it would be that I was lost. And as we're growing up, we're just kind of like living. We don't really know what purpose is. And God finds us when it's our time. I would suggest you get up off your bed and put your phone on the charger on the side of your bed so that when you get it, you have to drop down on your knees so you can pray. That's what I would suggest. That's the biggest suggestion I could ever give anyone in their life, grown, children, adults. Put that phone on the floor, but when you wake up, you're going to have to get on your knees to get it because God <laughs> is first, for real. Not a joke. Not a joke. I'm laughing at the beauty of it. That should be a new problem. Yeah, Put the phone on know? the floor. Right. Mm-hmm. And so back to Egypt. I'm going to speak about Egypt for a second because you said he is the most uh-huh. rehabilitated. And I think that's incredible because I walked the yard with Egypt. You know, we I went know. in New Folsom together. Yeah. Yeah, we went in New Folsom yeah. together. You know what I'm saying? And to see not only has he channeled, because I did the same thing, we had to channel our experiences into something positive so that we could do have something positive to do. You know, when you're in those situations, if you want to do something positive, you have to make something positive to do. And the more sincere and serious you are about doing something positive, the bigger your push to create something positive to do. So the fact that he created from the inside out, you know what I mean, and got it all the way out here and now y'all all the way in Africa and all across the world and all these different prisons, that's a pretty positive push. That's showing rehabilitation. So I just want to go on the record and let it be, you know, no. Huh? So he didn't create the work. The work was created before I met him. 
Oh, okay. I was about to say my goodness. Yeah, I've actually met him through the yeah, He has one of, well, two of many curriculums that we have. Oh, uh, okay. Nonetheless, how many lives has that curriculum changed? How many lives has that His curriculum changed? has touched thousands. Exactly. Thousands. So that's my point. That's my point. And I'm not trying to qualify or quantify the harm that a person caused because when we in there and we doing the work, we start looking at the magnitude and impact of the harm that we cause when we commit those crimes. Can't take away that. You can't take away the magnitude and impact. But once we realize that, we decide to live making amends. And some of that comes like these programs that you see. And so for the for the harm that Egypt has caused, caused or you have caused, that we, when we when we didn't know who we really were or wasn't confident to walk in who we were. We now take back and put it into something that allows us to, you know, recompense for the things that we did when we weren't confident in walking who we and, and with who we really are, which is positive, loving, kind, healthy thinking people. Mm-hmm. That's why I, I brought all that up to say. I brought all that up to say. Shout out to Idri. I'm, I'm glad you keep pushing him and keeping his name alive. And I just wanted to take a, a moment to do that because it was important to me. Cause I pride myself on being authentic at all times. Amen. And um, yeah, and yeah, y'all support him. Say the CDC number again and let folks know one more time, please. V seven V is in Victor seven zero one eight six. Wow, thank you. And I really mm-hmm. love what you said to to the women out there and anyone that that was listening. My mom. Hey, man, shout out to my mama, the high priestess. What's up, queen? Shout out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My shout mama taught me when her. I was small. I want to pray for her, if you don't mind. I don't mind, Portia, please. I'm going I'm to make it real quick, because, you know, it was not a part of this. Father God, thank you so much for just allowing us to be on this platform. Thank you for gracing us with the ability to be here, both of us, because we know our brother here that's leading this platform um, he's just been allowed to do things like this from people when in reality you were preserving him for this time. His mom has had health struggles, but she told him to keep on being a king. And I just want you to pray, lift up her, her soul and her spirit. Lift up her soul and her spirit. And, right. and give him peace. As he does this show with me today. Amen. Jesus, all things pure. Amen. Thank you, Portia. You got me over here teared up and crying, man. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, my mama told me when I was small and it stayed with me ever since that the moment I opened my eyes, thank God. Mm-hmm. And I held on to that from ever, from the moment I gained consciousness in the morning. Before my eyes even open, the first thing I'm saying, thank you, God, for waking me up another morning in my right body and my right mind. Hmm. So I really, really, because, you know, because it's not guaranteed. It's not. She reminds me of that all the time. I remember sitting in Tracy when I received my life sentence, and I seen this other cat that had a life sentence, and he had one leg. He was in a wheelchair. And I was just like, damn, dude got a life sentence with one leg. And I was already like, it's bad, it's bad enough. <laughs> Shit. They don't but care. My, 
they don't care. But my point is life could always be worse, so we always thank God, you know what I'm saying, and had a full opportunity to do it better today than we did it yesterday. Amen. But to your point, hell no, they don't care, Portia. No, they don't. So with that said, yeah, this is me and my guest, Portia Taylor. We're having a, a really live discussion, a really rich discussion, depending on your level of understanding. And if not, you can always play it back and, and analyze it later on. Maybe you pick up something new. I saw my dope CDs and tapes back in the day. They used to be like that. I, mean, I didn't hear him say that the first time. But this is Tales from the Plantation Nation. We're going to get into a little bit of music right now. And so this is my boy right here, Keith. And this is out the way. Because this is how we like to stay. It's out the way until it's time for us to speak up. Chaos in the Plantation Nation. I got the vision for forever pay. I told my bro when he can hold me straight. I got the uncle that's about to go late. I ain't still praying straight or do say. I just go play for play all day. I'm just trying to get in this thing out the way. I'm trying to get in this thing out the way. I'm trying to get in this thing out the way. I got the vision for forever pay. I told my bro when he can hold me straight. I got the uncle that's about to go late. I just still praying straight or do say. I just go play for play all day. I'm just trying to get in this thing out the way. I'm trying to get in this thing out the way. I ain't gonna ride and grind every day. Up a little something to say Find a better way to make plays And in the end of the day be straight Wouldn't happen any other way 40 on the hip every day Drink in the trunk for the straight One front of really killing for the pay They be like cash where you been at I've been on the grind nigga chasing this finish Trying to get it up so I can handle this finish Trying to make sure my team stay with it Cause of the pain I'ma keep on grinning Boy you know the real stay spinning I'ma keep you posted Ain't no telling when I'm about to get it I'm trying to get it and stay out the way I got the vision for forever pay I told my bro when he come home be straight I got the uncle that's about to go late I just still playing straight or do say I just go play for play all day I'm just trying to get it and stay out the way I'm trying to get it and stay out the way I'm trying to get it and stay out the way I got the vision for forever pay I told my bro when he come home be straight I got the uncle that's about to go late I just still playing straight or do say I just go play for play all day I'm just trying to get it and stay out the way I'm trying to get it and stay out the way I'm trying to make meals Bills. I like to live like I like to live Sacrifice, I had to give Keep it concealed, that's just how it is Separating, make for the real Yeah, they be hating, but the fuck I don't give I don't do much, I just be chasing real Keeping it real, they chasing the bills I come to you, I say trapping the wheels Together we grew up, you know how it is I wanted the riches, you wanted the hoes You wanted the hunter, I wanted the rose You wanted silver, I wanted gold We wanted different, that's just how it goes Truth in the matter, you already know You wanted to blow, I wanted to grow I'm trying to get it and stay out the way I got the vision for fun Pay. I told my bro when he come home be straight. I got the uncle that's about to go late. I just still playing straight or do say. I just go play for play all day. I'm just trying to get in this thing out the way. I'm trying to get in this thing out the way. I'm trying to get in this thing out the way. I got the vision for forever pay. I told my bro when he come home be straight. I got the uncle that's about to go late. I just still playing straight or do say. I just go play for play all day. I'm just trying to get in this thing out the way. I'm trying to get in this thing out the way. Trying to get it and stay out the way. <laughs> Shout out to my bro Keith right there, man. That's the artist going the hardest. Brought to you by Aim for the Heart. 
the Ten P program, you know, emotional literacy is big, very big. We suggest that everybody take the time to just breathe, meditate, whatever it is to, to get your parasympathetic nervous system activated, and slow down at least once a day. I mean, if you could do it more than that, do it more than that. But that's the artist going the hardest, brought to you by Aim for the Heart and the 10P program. And that artist right there, his name is Keith. I'm, I'm not getting no special names or nothing like that. The music is dope as fuck. And he's somebody I grew up with prior to going to prison. But even when I was in prison, me and my little bro, he was there for me. But he wasn't just there for me. He was there for other bros who didn't go to prison. And it's so nice to see and celebrate somebody like him and say happy Father's Day to Keith. And all the other real fathers out there, when I say real fathers, I mean like fathers and, and not baby daddies. If somebody told me I need to explain what I mean by that, so I want to ask you something, Portia, in a second about that. But before I go, I just want to make my point, which is this is someone who, like, you know, we, we was all content with making bad decisions, but start making good decisions. Start going to school and learning and, and coming up out the streets. And now it's transitioned to a father, you know what I'm saying, a real father and a husband. And so it's nice to hear that songs like Stay Out The Way. I ain't trying to glamorize having to drop this or sitting on the 30s ad or the candy ad. I'm just talking about I can do everything y'all can do. I ain't even tripping on doing none of that shit. I'm on some grown man, some real adults, some legacy, some legacy builders. Some, can we get some acres? Can we grow our own food? You know what I mean? Do we have rations? Come on with some of that. And so it was just that. It's a real powerful song, and it's nice to play that, and the shit slaps. But my question for you, Portia, is there a difference to you in your in your mind's eye between a baby daddy and a father? And if so, what would you say that is? Mm, I think it depends on um, I'm going to say this. So, like, if you're from the hood, then it's powerful to have a baby daddy because in the hood, some women don't have a baby daddy. They just have babies. That's levels. She is levels to this shit. Damn, it's levels, levels to this, to this shit. shit. Talk to Okay. Talk to It's levels yeah. to this shit. For real. Mm-hmm. And so if you if you moving forward and you're growing in life, so, hold on. I'm sorry. Hold on. Let me unpack it. Let me uh, let me unpack it. I'm sorry because we said it's levels Come to this shit. And again, that was that that was a speech yeah. community of people who speak that language. So let me unpack what we're saying uh-huh. right now. So, Portia, I just asked Portia, is there a difference between a baby daddy and a father? She said, well, it depends, like it's situational. And then she said, in the hood, to have a baby daddy could be a powerful thing. And what that means is, you know, for a young, versus a young woman who don't even know who the father of her child is, right? So there's levels of, like, the, the trauma, the degradation, the struggle that people go through. And even if you don't have a, a, a guy that's, like, the most reliable, <laughs> it's better than not having a guy at all, is what you're saying. Hmm. So, deep. so I just wanted to unpack that. Thank you for, yes, because mm-hmm. if you don't know, you don't know, right? Um, but in, mm-hmm. in a, if you've um, been in a place of elevation where you can really comprehend that, um, what you speak into a man means something, mm-hmm. and so not calling him your baby daddy, your nigga, yo, you know all of the stuff that we grow up around. 
and it, it changes who we pour into. So it's my man, and this is my children's father, my husband, first of all. You know what I'm saying? 100%. This is the, the, the terms that we use, right? And mm-hmm. um, it, it's a huge difference, and I think it's, it's a difference. It's a huge difference. But we have to work on our community. They don't know. We do. If we're not stepping into the projects and talking about this, which nobody is doing, first of all. Yes. So if, this is the if we're not stepping thing. into the projects and doing it, yeah, it's not. Yeah. So, like I said, um, like these are the facts. It's brought to us by New Nubian Fashions. More than just clothing, it's a movement, newnubianfashions.com. And that's what it's all about. It's about this axiological revolution, which is a change in values. And it's time to start stepping into the projects and talking about this. Because it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, just think about what you said. The bare minimum, just to be a baby daddy, is to just claim the baby. You know, because that's what you were saying. You got people who don't even claim the babies. You got people who don't even claim the babies. But... To be a baby daddy, all you got to do is at least say, damn, I got an old girl pregnant and that's my baby. <laughs> that's, that's all it. you got to do to be a baby daddy that's for it. real. You know what I'm that's saying? That's it. But being a father, like you said, that's being a teammate. That's being reliable. That's being emotionally vulnerable. That's being dependent. That's being a protector, a provider. That's, that's being responsible. That's a whole different Come ball on. game. That's a, that's a different discussion. And we need that. Uh-huh. We need more of that. And I love how you talked about your father. You were the perfect person to have this conversation with right now. You say I grew up with a, my mother and my father in a household of strong black men. You understand what I'm saying? So I, I really love that. And thank you for answering that question for me. Is there anything else you want to add to it? No, I think you garnished it gracefully. <laughs> that's right. Because that's going to be the saving grace of our people. We have to get back to strong family units. It's, it's really incumbent upon us. A lot of the trauma that I talked to the guys about inside the prison stems from the household. And that's not to excuse systemic oppression and racism because it's 100% there and contributing to what's taking place in the household. It's definitely there. It's just most of the people I grew up with, shoot, they ain't had no daddies. They ain't had no fathers. They ain't had no fathers. Most of the people I grew up with, we all was being raised by my mom, by our mamas. And then I said my mama because my mama let some of them come live with us. <laughs> she, she was like the hood mom, you know. So What happened after that, that to... though? You know, like when, when y'all come out, like, for instance, you had a, a good-ass wife, a good support system. She built a foundation for you, right? What Correct. happens when these men don't have that? What happens when they have to go back to the same mama that raised them tried, but they're, like, they're not equipped to take care of y'all? I think a real mm-hmm. discussion is, like, the prison is a whole PTSD situation. Mm-hmm. And my husband, he didn't been in and out of prison so many times. When he used to get out, when the first time he got out of prison, the Social Security office gave him a letter that said the environment that he's lived in automatically qualifies him for Social Security. Yeah, I think it's called a, um, Yeah, for real. I think you are um, – what's the words I'm looking for? Damn, impacted system, uh, a, a citizen, 
Now, it's not second-class citizen. It's something like impacted citizen or something like that. But it's a real thing. I don't know what it's called. They don't do that no more because they realized they were making this up. The state was making this up a liability for harming humans. So they stopped giving those. It's not unfortunate. It's a realization of knowing where we're at. It's not. We we have to learn to stop taking things as a. It's not harmful. It's a lesson. Pay attention. They're teaching us. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I was talking about the trauma that people suffer inside the prisons. Like you said, everybody you talk to that come out there and they got PTSD. And I was just thinking about post-incarcerated um, syndrome. It's, I was talking about that's unfortunate. But creating this situation where people come out and are dependent upon. Yeah, so, like, when a person does get out and they have a mom who, you know, is still, like, maybe addicted to drugs or the household is bad, there's so much stuff we can touch on with this. First of all, when I learned, because, you know, I used to have a, a the KMP program when we was in New Folsom, and we had a partnership with the Division of Adult Parole's Operations. So the parole agents mm-hmm. would actually come in. They would come in and do, like, these – I would have I would ask them to come do these seminars where they teach guys about what parole would be like. So when the time comes, you know what I'm saying, we have an idea of what was required, so forth and so on. And this was powerful for people who had life sentences and life without sentences. Ain't nobody talking to us about parole. They're treating us like we don't exist or like we don't matter. You know what I mean? And so it was it was a beautiful thing to be able to get them up in there. But I learned about, you know, they used to always make people who parole go back to where they caught that, not where they committed their crime at, where they got arrested at. And I learned that that called their collar. Their county of last legal residence, and that just was like a such a gut punch, so such a gut wrenching acronym for you to call it the collar, and you put people back in the same communities where you know the chances oh of them recidivating. Do you understand what I'm saying? Collar county, I've never county heard of last. That's why I'm lacing everybody up right now. They call it your collar, your county of last legal residence, and then they send you back there. This is where they send you back to, knowing this. Knowing this, so I just wanted to put that out there. This is some of the stuff we talk about in Tempe, right? But I guess so that's why that they said, call it a leash, right? Exactly. A leash or a tail, a tail, a leash, it's whatever. A tail. They call it a tail. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. They call it a tail. Your collar, and, they, and so with that yeah, said, that's crazy. If a person knows that, because it's a real thing, many people go to prison and do the work. You do have a lot of people in prison who do the work, who realize, you know what, something about me has to change. And go in there and bust their ass. But unfortunate, because of, like, issues like what we fighting with ACA 8, people are working mm-hmm. for, you know, slave labor. They're not walking mm-hmm. out with any type of money or anything to come out to, to you know, alleviate some of those immediate stressors. That's one. And then forced labor is taking place over rehabilitation. But for those who still manage to come out, with a modicum of rehabilitated thinking and behavior, and they step back into those environments where they folks haven't changed. I may have changed, but my people haven't changed. So now it's like you took the fish out of the water, you plucked it with penicillin, and then you threw the fish back in the polluted water, (laughs) in the polluted lake, right? In those situations, Mm -hmm. that's when organizations like the 10P program, organizations like Prison from the Inside Out, organizations like ARC and Universal Cafe and ASAP, the Anti-Violence Safety and Accountability, that's when those organizations 10, provide 
Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Come on. Come on. That's when those of us who know Play what for people grace. who have been Hold through. Hold on. Let me shout out my people. Speak yeah. on it. Go ahead. Speak on it. Pouring into our kids. They point into the kids, yes. That's right. And so it's up to us who know what we need to fill those spaces for us because they're trying to collar us. <laughs> they're trying to collar us uh-huh. back in your county of last legal residence. So knowing this, it's incumbent upon us to then create transitional homes and programs where someone who really has done the work does not have to go back to that same house where that people still smoking and gang banging. Hmm. Hmm. That's why we're doing the work that we're doing. Well, let me tell you yes. how I purchased a home with my private money, turned it into a transitional home, and was contracted with CDCR. Contracted hmm. for years, for years. And they look. And I'm going to be very blatant with this. I'm not being discriminative. They only will mm-hmm. put um, two 90s. They only wanted to put two 90s in my house. Really? You understand? Of course. And so I know you understand, but everybody else don't because you said you want to break it down to people, right? So feel free. So what a 290 is is a sex offender. And um, there's levels, like, levels of sex offender crimes, meaning, like, high crime rate, like, children, sex crimes, all the way down to whatever the case. My job is not to um, discriminate on anyone, and I don't. However, Mm. when people are coming in to community and opening up these homes, they do this Mm. to deter you, right? Who wants to bring in rapist into their homes, right? Yeah, then they come with NIMBY, that NIMBY. They make you feel like come, that, right? Oh, excuse me, I just want to jump in and say that's when you start hearing NIMBY, that not in my backyard stuff. Yes, 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 right? Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. By the grace of God, because God led me to a community that was, look, Stockton is such a poor, Stockton, California, is such a poor city at this point. They're looking mm-hmm. for any business to pour into them, anything. They don't even make their neighbors pay attention. They open a home next to an elementary school. Wow, uh, did y'all hear that? Go to Stockton. Mm-hmm. If y'all bought y'all business, go no, to Stockton. No, do not go to Stockton because they're going to make you oh, put two nights in Oh, my bad. No. Don't, thank you. Do not do that. I didn't open my home. I didn't open my home because there was, it was open, but I wouldn't accept the people they were sending me because of the there was an elementary school next door and the risk I don't I don't want to risk nobody's babies. I have babies. However, in non judgment, I am working with them to open up a building downtown, away from schools and to anybody, no matter what your case is, because we're not discriminating or politicking, um, they can come there. But I definitely wasn't gonna um, do the school is there, and that happens to happen kind of a thing. You have, it's it's, it's yeah, it's bigger than what we see. It is, and it's very important that we not discriminate against folks for having those type of crimes or trying to reacclimate into society. So I think that's big what you're doing there. 
and I've been having discussions with people around there too because it's it's not enough it's not enough um places for them to land for them to actually you know feel the support that they need in rehabilitating and and striving to better themselves as well. So I tip my hat to you for that, and I want to say like congratulations on your recent um, graduation at Lancaster and shout out to all those men. I wish I could have been there for that graduation, but I just wanted to tell you congratulations on that and, and to all of those, all your recent graduates too. Oh, it was so powerful. I'm so proud of the men that took the time to um, do that work. Um, my programs aren't easy and I don't like the programs that Edric wrote or my programs that I wrote also, they're not easy. And good. and as I spoke in the class, the videos will be coming. So follow me <laughs> or follow my org at prison, F-T-I-O underscore Inc. Because, um, no, the videos will come, and they're going to tell you that uh, they have to dig in and they have to talk. And what they share in that room is private. They're mm-hmm. on a level four yard. Okay, you know mm-hmm. that. Like, this show yard, right? Mm-hmm. 100%. They're on a level four yard. Mm-hmm. How they do, it's how they live four. is different. Level four. There's no, we ain't coming in to play, and we ain't worried about a level one. We're coming in to help our people, right? And That's right. They said, they said that the work that they had to do made them know each other in a different way, even if they have to be across the building in different cells when they can't talk, you know? Mm-hmm. 100%. And that's how you have to know. You have to know that about prison. You should tell them about that because only you can about how prison people can't talk if they are in different political environments. I mean, yeah, well, certain political environments, it's, it's just segregated. And I won't say that a person just absolutely can't talk to someone. Well, it, it depends on, like, how they're housed. Like, solitary, mm-hmm. there is no one to talk to. But in, in, like, the situations that you're explaining where different races or gangs and people are there and they're politicking, yeah, I mean, they could, they could like, hey, what's up? You <laughs> could say, what's up? Hey, how you doing? Or and walk chances. Down. Chances are like pretty low. Everybody will say what's up to you, but basically I'm gonna kill you first chance I get. It depends on how how high the tension is on the yard. So when we talk about mm-hmm. these level fours, it goes from funk on site. As soon as you catch one, because it could be a lockdown just ending. As soon as you catch one of those guys from that race or from that gang, get them. It could go from that to oh man, that guy's from that race. Just don't trust those guys. Keep your eyes on them. To it just ranges from those between those temperatures, you know. And it's always nice to then see that's what makes what like what you, what all what you're doing, what we're doing, what they're doing so powerful because that's what was handed to all of us that that racism, that discrimination on the yard, that bias, that fight over this damn this, this handball court and this table, that shit was handed to me when I went to the pen. Yeah. I had to like grow over, go past that shit, and and it's nice yeah. to see like all the races and all the people doing that. Like you know what, we've been here tripping for like decades 
on each other. No, all, all the time, all everybody had to do, like I go in there and tell them, I said, listen, bro, y'all don't have to be no snitches, no informants, no anything to go home. All you got to do is do the work, period. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not trying to diss anybody that may be on the SMY yard who went PC. I'm saying this to those guys who be on these main lines, on these level fours, on these 180s, who don't want to go in, in the parole board and, and talk about how they used to be in the gang, but they're not in the gang anymore. Well, you ain't got to go. Yeah, you ain't got to go tell on nobody. All you got to do is that's show right. that I ain't, listen, I ain't did nothing are. to nobody. Who yeah, you I are. Haven't, that's, that's, that's it. That's it. Who My work won't speak for itself. I haven't had so any scenario infractions. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I want to share this because I was in a prison yesterday for five hours. Please. And the five hours that I was in there, and then when they say it's over, you know, they yell at them. They don't just be like, all right, close it down. Okay, to me, close it down. You know, they yell at them like they're kids. <laughs> um, no, I don't like that. You know, it's. How like who taught you this? Mm-hmm. However, going back into what I was saying is that the no, men that I talked to, oh, oh, I kind of want you to stay there for a second because that's socialized behavior too, right? And those peer no, pressures are real things. So the classes that I took um, to gain entry into law school were all mm-hmm. correction classes. I took every class that it takes to become a police officer. And you, there's other ways around like going into law school, but I took those classes because I wanted to know why they behave the way they behave. In the book, it literally tells you, I swear for Jesus, I swear, I I have my books. I don't, you don't throw away books, right? It says, it says that um, you, you, the relationship between an incarcerated person and a, a, the staff, because they're staff, right? Is um, parent to child mm. guaranteed in the book? It says that you mm-hmm. tell them when to turn off the lights. You tell them mm. when to go to the bathroom. You tell them. It says that, and it says they're oh, gonna man. get upset with you like a kid does, and so you have to be aggressive with them in the book. Mm. Mm-hmm. Huh. In the textbook, Why? it says this. Wow, and that's what they do, too. You see them trying to belittle so many people, and you have, like, a, a 21-year-old talking to a, a 75-year-old just, like, in the most disrespectful way. And and it's, it's interesting. It takes a great deal of learning and growing. And so that behavior, not like you said, it came all the way from the textbook. So that's all the way from the top. This is what you're taught. This is socialized and learned behavior from an organization. And this is what Jamelia and I used to always talk about on 10P Evolving the Narrative, was this is learned behavior from the top, and it's, it's like inherent. It's part of the structure. Come on. It's part of the structure of, 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 um, Come on. of what do they call it, the fraternal, the, fraternal law, the fraternal law and order? What is it, the fraternal, it's eluding me right now, but the peace officers. It's part of the structure of peace officers for them to see you as less than and then not do the same thing that they want you to do. They won't correct their partners when they do see them doing things that they're not supposed to. They don't come forward. And I won't say they don't because I hate speaking to blanket statements like none of them do. I won't do that. I'm going to oh, give no. them. I'm, 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 there are some good-ass you know, people in there. Good. There you go. 
There you go. Yeah, so I'm, 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 I'm definitely I'm, not. Like one thing, your I think your org is unique in that as well. Is that we are not um, saying that all like correction staff. First of all, I'm a no, very not at all. I am. I'm actually not an abolitionist, and I'll say that probably um, outside of that. So, yeah, I don't think that um, everyone in there is is bad. So, yeah. I don't know, man. I'm not to mention we got security outside. You talking about you're not an abolitionist? You got an abolitionist rally gonna come in? Talking about you're not an abolitionist? I got to She's all right. My fault. That's the end of that. I don't need security. Run up if you want to. Shit, no, we all on the same side, so it's all good. Not even run up if you want to. God says you you serve me. I am the army. You my shield. You know your word. You know who's shielding you. And ain't nothing that nobody here can do to hurt me. Fear is not of God, and I am God's child. One hundred percent. No one's going to run up. And I, I'm glad um, Brother Eustace just hit me. I was thinking it was the Berkeley prison experiment. It was the Stanford prison experiment where, you know, they had the people who they, they bought the volunteers. I know it very well. Yeah. Yep. Right. And right, cause I was going to ask you about it a moment ago when we were speaking. And, you know, they brought all of these people in and they assigned them different roles. You guys will be prisoners. You guys and gals will be prisoners. You guys and gals will be guards. And after mm-hmm. a while, the people really did get into those roles mm-hmm. and, you know, mentally of being subjugated mm-hmm. and of being superior, superior and inferior. They really took on those roles and to the point where they went to like the role. It, it was some like, <laughs> they couldn't believe how intensely they really felt. I think the intention program was like, what, 30 days and it didn't last a week. No, it, did. it lasted what, like seven to 10 days. Yeah, but you know what? I I will say, I will say for clarification purposes, you may not be a prison abolitionist, but you are one hundred percent a slavery abolitionist. I think that we have to start. We do want to okay. break down systems, right? And and that we do want to do. I come from a place where I I know some real. Okay, this is your your platform. Speak on it. Speak how you feel comfortable. I am going to. We are human, and and as we are human, we do need to acknowledge accountability. There's a lack of that in our work. I am going to tell everyone to be accountable for what they are and who they are, and Sometimes, do I believe in the system that we have that they're fixing us? No, but I do believe that there should be a system to fix us. And as um, as the advocates that we are, we I, I don't feel like we're pouring into the right verbiage or the right community to really fix what we're doing. Because, like, there is heart. The heart is lacking. These mm-hmm. people, our people need love. And mm-hmm. it's missing. And the oh, abolishment. Oh. We're like, oh, abolish it. Abolish what? Like, what are we abolishing? Why are we trying to, we're taking away the systems because 
they created it. But are we really looking at before we take the system away? What the hell are we gonna do with with our people when we take it away? It's like so Moses that's my point. And the Egyptians. I'm sorry. Go ahead. What are we gonna okay. do? So that's my point. When what you're talking about is there are people who make bad decisions and harm folks, commit crimes, and they some they need to go somewhere. Is what you're saying? You can't just wake up tomorrow and there's no prisons because there's some motherfuckers who belong in the prison right about now. I got that. However, I don't think you're saying that there should be slavery in any form. Because I know you. We didn't talk about this. Oh, I know you don't support slavery. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Yeah, Yeah, because I I know for a fact that you you may not be a prison abolitionist, but you are 100% a slavery abolitionist. That's what I'm saying. I know that for a fact. You don't support slavery at all in any form. No, no, no sex trafficking, involuntary servitude, field workers, under, under, underage, you know, employment. I know you're not supporting any of that. We didn't talk there about should it. be no one working and not being paid a wage. Period. Period. And oh, anyone who is doing that is a slave. And currently, our constitution allows that. With that said, I would like us to get into this next track. My boy Gasworks. Um, Parts of Love, Keeping It Live, Patient Nation, here with Portia Taylor from the inside out. And we'll be right back. Let's go, brother, you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If I had a pack, you made it back, and you would run it down. You would 
walk a hundred miles. I ain't have to dumb it down. Feel the same pain from the pains when you love your child. We was in the game, but I never seen you gain a foul. Hustle never changed, you remain, you were quick to die. If I met you back in the day, you would have paid me. If I got my bands from the blade, you would have paid me. Food stamps, government aid, she going crazy. PPP spending, investing, I'm getting lazy. She my little yeah, yeah, who? My little baby. I'm a daddy, dad, dad, you could never play me. Never learn to trust, got it after mud. Still recovering from lust, shit, I'm hard to love. Blue strips like a crit, red bottom blood. Wish I knew how to commit, but I got a grudge. Show me how to love you, yeah. I'm falling and I'm told you. Then I don't want to use the thugging by my lonely. They were talking down until they seen it through a saucy. Now these booty bitches on me. Oh, I know that I'm hard to love. I don't make it easy to try. My heart is breaking, help me fill it up. And I don't want to be the one to do you. My little baby. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to my boy Gasworks. Shout out to my bro Gasworks right there with that heart to love. You know, thank you for blessing Tales from the Plantation Nation once again. Only authentic, only real, only solid. So, yeah, that was hard to love right there. Portia, you like that cut? You've been having heat on here all day. I like and this one and the first one was heat. Oh, you talking about the uh the uh the out the way? Oh, boy, Chief, yeah. Yes, it was fire. I was like, oh, okay. That was he. He came through. He I'll talked make about sure it I get that to you. Yeah. I can see I can see you slapping that because you stay out the way. Yeah. So, yeah I'm gonna, I'm I'm gonna be sure I, I tell Keith that <laughs> I you don't like it. that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, gravy, man! You 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 move pretty sm- pretty mellow, and so with that said, your business savvy, <laughs> real talk. You may not think so. We got to give credit where credit is due because you've changed your life in so many ways, and now you're changing the lives of others, and that's why you're here because you are a success story that has the ability to not, but but you not not. I don't want to say you have the ability to. You're doing it to influence so many others, like you just said a moment ago. It only takes one. It only takes one portion. Mm-hmm. Come on. You know what I'm saying? It only takes one portion to get it all started, to plant that seed, and then it just spreads. You know, so mm-hmm. that's, that's why you're here. And I'm, I'm just really, like I said, once again, humbled and honored. So back to what we were talking about a moment ago, about um, socialization inside the prison system and peer pressure. I was just chewing on that for a moment and thinking about how it takes place on both sides of the spectrum. And when I say that, mm-hmm. I mean, like, you have peer pressure that takes place with the guards. You have peer pressure that takes place in court systems. Just like huh. you have peer pressure that takes place in gangs. You have it taking place on the yards. People are concerned about what they what their coworkers are going to say or their peers are going to say. How many times have you, have you heard, oh, he's an inmate lover or he's soft on criminals, you know, and a person would just change, go against how they really feel because they don't want to be 
ostracized by, you know, by their peers or their cohorts. It's a very real thing that you see on both sides in the prison. And so I just wanted to come back and speak on that for a second because it is true. And it's part of that human nature that if we take that type of stuff into consideration and start seeing it as, like, someone who committed a crime is just is, is incorrigible. And then, like, with somebody who works in law enforcement is just corrupt because that's not the case. Everybody who mm-hmm. – a person who committed a crime is not automatically a bad person, and a person who works in law enforcement is not automatically a good person, nor are they automatically corrupt. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I do. It's about it's about finding that. Could you could you you have any? What was the aha moment for you when you realized that? Because I didn't always feel like that. I grew up feeling like police was like, I grew up on my NWA. Like fuck the police. You know what I'm saying? And I can tell you, um, I, I remember one time. I tell you one time, Porsche. I was in. I was talking to my cousin over the mm-hmm. phone when when Hurricane Katrina happened. He was in New Orleans, right? And you know, the, the city was just going crazy. It was just like chaos. And he was telling me about some people who had shot the police. And at that time, I was like, yeah, 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 he shot the police. And he was like, hell no, nah, we need them police. And I was like, now this is my cousin. You know, that I, I grew up with, I was in the streets with and everything. And and when my cousin said, hell no, nah, we need them police, it, it really, like, shocked me to hear somebody who I was so near and dear with say something like that because that's not how we mm-hmm. grew up talking about yeah. law enforcement. But now I have been in prison. I don't have any children. I never had a wife at that time, any responsibilities. And my cousin had been out. He's a family man. You know what I mean? He had lost, by the time he had lost someone, to the, like children to the game or to, to the negativity and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. he's like, man, we need them police. And it just was mm-hmm. a really eye-opener for me. And I started looking at things differently. So I want to ask you, like, did you have one of those moments where something, or did you always grow up not seeing all police as bad? No, um, I think I I didn't really have one of those moments. Like I said, I think the the last time I went to jail was 2017. I found in my order in 2019. It was I never had a like I know the rules of the game. I I grew up in the game. The game don't change for me personally. Um, and it's not about politicking. It's about how we are raised. And, and we have to start really culturalizing the fact that the game is really not a bad thing. It is rules to how we learn to survive. And police don't protect us. In my city right now, the whole damn police department is under federal investigation. Why would my community trust them? Why would they? We are not, I'm not, my org does not promote against police. We do not promote against um, authority figures, as they call them. However, we have to look at what authority came from, mm-hmm. what the history of them, and how mm-hmm. they, that is still impacting today and why in a city that is full of black and Hispanic people, the whole police department is under investigation. And every, they have to just, they killed a black girl. And they have to let the killers out because the police are so rogue. Corrupt. Mm. Rogue. So you know what I'm rogue. what I'm thinking. So yeah, correct. And yeah. So something we've been thinking you know, for a long, Oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. It's more so to the point to where when we um 
when we talk about the game and how I thought about it, it wasn't a it wasn't a game. It was my life. And mm-hmm. when I turned thirty and and start doing the work that we're doing right now, going into prison, I didn't um, think about, I wasn't thinking about the backlining of that. I was thinking about healing our community. So I think the big answer to your question is no. I didn't have an awakening moment for like that. Thank you for that. Yeah, I did. I had to have that moment because I grew up hating police. I grew up in New Orleans, you know what I'm saying? My whole community was black. Everybody was black. The, the, the preacher was black. The, the, the alderman was black. The crack dealer was black. The crackhead was black. But the majority of the people who wasn't black was the police. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You had some black police, but all of them weren't black. And they would come around there. And I remember my mom told me when I was 11 years old, she said, if you ever see the police and you by yourself, run. So my dislike for the police was instilled in me ever since I was a child. You know what I mean? Like, I'm... They then beat my uncle to death. Then they killed him. Let me, uh, right look, let me clarify. Let me clarify. I'm so sorry to interrupt you. The game comes with not liking the police. I said that I grew up with exactly. the game. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I just want to clarify that. I grew up with the <laughs> game. So, right. yes, what you're saying, yes. Okay. Yeah. Right. And so I, I grew up just like with this total... Man, all them, all police are bad. I grew up where all white people are bad. That's just how I was raised coming up from where I was from. And when I moved to California, you know, I ran into these police who I felt like reaffirmed everything my mama was teaching me about the police. Those first white man calling me a nigga to my face was a, a police out here in California. You know, um, the way they operated in the criminal justice system. It was just reaffirming everything that I had been taught about the police. So I was like, there are no good police. This whole the system is corrupt. All the representatives are corrupt. And it wasn't until I actually found myself incarcerated and got to observing peace officers up close and personal, you know what I'm saying, that I started to see them as individuals, as people, because I didn't like them blanketing me all the time. Like, you inmates, I'm like, stop blanketing me in with everybody. I'm my own individual. You know what I mean? And I used to always be like, well, these COs, and I'd be like, nah, this one right here, this CO, though, he don't, he don't be extra out. This dude don't be doing nothing mm-hmm. extra. He actually is trying to peace when he's minding his business. So I started seeing a difference in people. And then when my cousin said what he said to me, I was like, you know what, it's true. But then it, it goes even deeper than that. As far as these police forces go, they work for us. That's what we need to know. So something I was thinking about that we used to brainstorm on um, – is it is you have no like you said you said why should I trust them why I don't have any incentives but that's because we didn't put them in position and I think Come like, on. if we if we get our organizations and we start putting remember they used to have ROTC when we was in school I think yeah. that if we start putting together yeah. these new if we start putting together yeah. these junior police academies and we start choosing people from our own community to say it's okay to become a police officer, to come back, police your community, and we start pumping out our own little cadets, I think slowly but surely that's how we would change what we have right now. Because then you're going to have people that really directly come from the community. They went to school, police academy together. They're going to come out. And so this is what I think we should do. We should do that with attorneys and police in the same fucking building, and we should do this all across the country. Then we can start talking about breaking up, you know, or breaking down police, police um, okay. departments around the country. But 
we have to put systems in place first before we just talk about disbanding something. Right. Amen. Really, really that. enjoying I mean, our conversation portion. Uh, I think that's that's powerful. And the mind of creators are amazing. So I want to salute your mind and then, of course, always highlight my sis um, because I know the power that it takes to pour into men. And y'all are a powerful couple. I just want to pour into my sister. Thank you for that. And I should not have felt yeah. to your other half, too. He showed me other laugh. Uh, he showed me uh, love every time I see him. You know, mm-hmm. and he's always supporting you too, so I really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. So we've been having a really lively conversation with Portia Taylor from the inside out, and I'm just like, this is, you know, it's one of the dopest shows, and I really appreciate talking to you. you. You coming on and honoring us. So what I would like for you to do, I want you to take the time to give all of your identifying information. Shout out anybody you want to shout out, anything you think you want to say to people in prison, out of prison, whatever. I want you to just have have your moment, you know what I'm saying, and get it out. Where can people find you, locate you? How can they support your work? How can they support the organization? Everything. Okay. I think that as I've spoken during this time on the show, um, I think people hopefully can recognize that I don't, I'm a woman of, few words and I don't um, try to take up much space because I think what I say is powerful when I say it I am um, you know small can be great right I'm five one but I'm big <laughs> wow you're um, I'm five one but I'm big humbly um, I can be found my org. Y'all don't have to find me. Find the org at prison ftio underscore dot inc, and that's on all platforms. That's on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you find the org and you would like to contact me, you will find me through my orgs. And outside of that, um, for folks that are inside. Y'all know what time it is. It ain't been no different from four years ago. I'm not playing. I'm coming for y'all. I'm fighting for y'all. <laughs> it's no jokes about it. I'm a real one. When I come in, I talk to y'all like I'm a real one, whether them CEOs, whoever is in front of us, are there. We're, this, is, this is God's ordained mission. Nothing can stop it. And when I walk in them gates, people walk out with me, and that's there's facts on that. Like, there's facts on that. So mm. just, you know, know that the fight is not Speak over. You don't it. have to Speak be on hopeless. It. Speak on it. You don't have to be hopeless no more because it, there is no gate that God can. When I tell you like this, hold on, because this is God's voice, not mine. <laughs> I'm about to start preaching to y'all. He didn't give me a flow. I'm about to preaching to God. When I tell you. That when God leaned in on me, there is no gate that the court, that no, no CDCR, there is no gate that can close on you that God can open. And when I walk in, God is with me. My representatives are with me. When you see our shirts, we walking in all black. We walking in as God's representatives. See us and know that we are for you. We're different. We're not the average program. Okay, we coming in with 
what a UFC is because we're going to be everywhere, and that's guaranteed. That's what I want to put inside. Y'all are my people. We're family. Thank you very much, Portia. It was very well worded to him. We all felt the passion behind it. I'll just let that sink in for a second. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like you just went up. You went up really quick. Like you went yeah. from being a woman of a few words and being mellow to like your passion just turns up a notch. And it was really beautiful mm-hmm. to experience that. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. So I really um, hope everyone enjoyed Tales from the Plantation Nation today with your host, Sam and Nathaniel Brown. And what I want everyone to basically take from this call a number of things. I mean, I could list off a litany of what I would like you to take away from this call. Few of them would be resilience and never writing writing yourself off or writing anyone else off. I don't care how hard your circumstances look. I don't care what you may be going through at the time or what your past is, you know, Yesterday is a day that you're never going to get back. Today is a day that you're never going to get back. And tomorrow hmm. is a day that you've never seen before. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So you have an opportunity. Indeed, the urgency of now. My brother told me about the urgency of now. We all we all have an opportunity to just say, you know what, from this point forward, I'm making these corrections, I'm making these changes. And it don't matter where you are, and it don't matter what nobody else says. You do not have to allow anyone's imagination to run off with your reality. So I really want everyone to take that away from this call. You don't have to let anybody else's imagination run off with your reality. If they see you as a, oh, he was just a dolphin, or if they see you as he was just a gang member, or this dude was a a sexual offender, or this chick was just a Hmm. prostitute, or they they can see you how they want to see you. How do you see you? Come on. That's what matters. Because in every scene, scene, you're going to be the one that's there. That's right. Every scene, scene, you're the only actor in every scene. So what matters most is what you say about you, and we just want to really impress that upon everybody, period. So, Portia, really thank you for joining us today. Once again, it's been an honor, sis. You are a true queen. I know you don't, you know, really look forward to receiving all this praise, but today is the day that I'm just, <laughs> we're just giving it to you. whole bunch of flowers, thank man. You. Thank you. I love that closing, too. Sis. I want to let you know. That was a solid closing. Wow. Thank you for that. It's from the heart, and it's inspired by our conversation today. So once again, everybody, thank you for coming to Tell Some Plantation Nation. Shout out to uh, Dr. Taffany Lim, who is going to be coming on and speaking about the importance of higher education in the carceral setting. If it wasn't for Dr. Taffany Lim, I would not have my bachelor's degree right now. You understand what I'm saying? She has worked tirelessly and effortlessly at making sure that higher education is available to people who are serving life sentences or life without sentences. And some of those guys who have gotten those degrees no longer have life without. And then now they're on the streets being contributing factors to society. And I'm one of them. I had a life sentence. And I have mm-hmm. a bachelor's degree now in communication studies, and I'm home and I'm a contributing factor. So I look forward to that interview. I want everybody to tune in. When we talked to Dr. Taffany Lim about her work with California State University, Los Angeles, and the bachelor's degree program. Once again, thank you, Portia. Um, my name is Samuel Nathaniel Brown. This is Tales from the Plantation Nation. And as always, it's a pleasure. And we out. 
Tales from the Plantation Nation. Fresh. I look around for my mother and my little sister. What happened to my brother? Some motherfuckers killed him. Damn, my head's spinning and I'm sick to my stomach. Everything is pitch black and I can't see nothing. Everything was pitch black except the motherfuckers coming. I didn't mean to let them catch me. I was looking for my brother. All I know is that I feel her arm. Could be a foot, but a brother couldn't speak because his tongue they took. I was shook when I saw that fetus fall from the womb. But they came in the name of Jesus. Man, I'm confused. We was fooled. Our village was burnt in all our tools. And now I'm probably on this cruise and a nigga shark food if I can't make it. Where the fuck's my destination? To the land of milk and honey, but I'm naked and I'm hated and Satan told me speak another language. Damn, it's fucked up on this slave ship. It's a dead body next to me. It's a dead body next to me. It's fucked up on this slave ship. It's a dead body next to me. It's a dead body next to me. It's fucked up on this slave ship. It's a dead body next to me. It's a dead body next to me. It's fucked up on this slave ship. It's a dead body next to me. It's a dead body next to me. It's fucked up on this place. I look around for my mother and my little sister. What happened to my brother? Some motherfuckers killed him. Damn, my head's spinning and I'm sick to my stomach. Everything pitch black and I can't see nothing. Coming down off this black robber, think about jumping. The big homie threw a meeting, but he ain't talking about nothing. All I know is that he got an L. Could be a rock, so he don't see it like they see it when they come to them cops. But some shit that I ain't about to stop. So they MIA, where they at? Working hard down in PIA. Private prisons make millions worth of CCA. Brunt making like a dollar a day. Man, when count time, time and your ass move, then you ain't dead. It's a toilet by my bed. I said, if count time come, if your ass move, then you ain't dead. Or it's a toilet by my bed. It's a dead body next to me. It's a dead body next to me. It's fucked up on this slave ship. It's a dead body next to me. It's a dead body next to me. It's fucked up on this slave ship. It's a dead body next to me. It's a dead body next to me. It's fucked up on this slave ship. It's a dead body next to me. It's a dead body next to me. It's fucked up on this slave ship. Nation.